This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Reality was starting to set in, and I seriously was wondering if I would never get to see anything ever again. Becky Zarr shares her personal experiences as a healthcare provider and young mom with total vision loss. I remember saying to her, Mom, I'm not strong enough. I had hit my rock bottom. My mom replied back to me, You can do this because you have a little boy who needs you. The Blind Reality. New episodes every second Tuesday of the month. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamaliti. We get a lot of interest from restaurants and people in the food industry, our people, the places we love to go. There's always interest around how they can make their spaces more accessible, their customer service more accessible. Customer service is not only anymore face-to-face. As things shut down, at that point, 100% of your customer service is online. I think there's been a shift uh, where people are realizing, oh, this isn't a nice-to-have thing. This is something that we need to do. People value accessibility and value inclusion. It's just complicated. That's Serena Cormier and Natalie Minimum. They are the dynamic duo behind Two Canes Consulting, Welcome to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Pull up a chair and let's dive right in. So before we begin with Toucan's Consulting, tell our audience a bit about each of you. Natalie, do you want to go first? I was just going to say the same thing. Sure, why not? (laughs) So hi, everyone. I am Natalie. I am one half of Toucan's Consulting. I currently live in Kingston. Um... And I have something called Usher syndrome, which is a form of deaf blindness. So uh, I was born with severe hearing loss in both ears. Um, So I wear hearing aids for that. And I started losing my vision to retinitis pigmentosa. So same as Mary, uh, when I was about 14, I believe, and I wasn't diagnosed until I was um, 17. On a bit of a lighter note, I I am a bit of a foodie. I love cooking. I I like trying new foods. Serena is going to try to tell you that I'm not very adventurous and I don't like spicy foods, but I'm telling you right now, she's wrong. I don't mind a little bit of spice. It's not true. Um, And I'm Serena. Natalie and I have the same diagnosis with regards to vision loss, but I have a a very different, um, more rare type of RP. So normally with RP, you lose uh, peripheral vision first uh, with night vision and then central vision. I'm actually losing central vision first with night vision. And I actually haven't lost any peripheral vision at this point. In addition to uh, working on two canes consulting with Natalie, which, which is an accessibility consulting company, I also work at a hospital as a social worker. And unlike Natalie, I actually truly love spicy food. Like the spicier, the better. (laughs) Well, that's amazing. And I love it. I found my people, foodies that just love talking about food, cooking and trying different (laughs) things. We're going to move right into your firm, Toucan's Consulting. It's all about helping people eliminate barriers in their spaces and services. Why did you start this business? So we actually met because we had the same Braille instructor and she happened to be teaching us both and we happened to be the same age and happened to also be working at the same hospital at the time. 
which is extremely rare given how rare our condition is. Um, so she decided to introduce us and we met and for about a year, maybe a year and a half, we basically complained to each other every time we saw each other about the lack of accessibility um, in our lives. So we would share funny stories like how we'd be at a restaurant or a bar and we'd think we were putting a cup on a table, but there was no table there and it just smashed on the ground and people would think we were way more intoxicated than we actually were, for example. Isn't it funny how they all go to that? Everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's always about, oh, so you had one too many. Even at eight and eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It's like yeah. someone's had one too many. No. <laughs> yeah. So we shared these funny stories. Um, I remember another one. Natalie actually sat on a man's lap on the bus, which I tell that story every time I get the opportunity because I think it's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> well, that was at eight in the morning. And I'm sure his thought was like, what has she been drinking this morning? And truth be told, I don't even think I had had my coffee yet. So. Um, so we shared these stories over time and um, and eventually we got so frustrated essentially with just our personal struggles with the lack of accessibility in the community that we decided to do something about it. And then Two Canes Consulting was born. We wanted to help other people in a more formal capacity become accessible. So we did training and uh, we did a bunch of sort of additional learning on um sort of different factors of accessibility so that we actually sort of knew what we were doing. And we decided to create this business. That's how it was born, basically out of personal experience. Tell us about some of the different industries you consulted for. We get a lot of interest from restaurants and um, people in the food industry, our people, Mm -hmm. basically, um, the places we love to go. So there's always interest around how they can make their spaces more accessible, um, their customer service more accessible. Um, And I'm using this as a starting point because this is actually, it's where we get the most interest, but then um, we sort of run into the issue of there just isn't the financial means to to pay for our services. Um, Even though they typically aren't that high cost and they, they really do make the difference um, in a lot of lives. And of course, now with COVID, there's even less money um, sort of to be spent on accessibility. And that's sort of the the mindset that we've run into um, across all industries. But, but now as we get closer to these deadlines coming up um, with the AODA, I think there's been a shift uh, where people are realizing, oh, this isn't kind of like you know, a nice to have thing. This is something that we need to do. Explain to people that don't know about the uh, deadlines you're talking about. This is actually the web accessibility deadline, and that's in January of 2021. Um, And so this is actually where we're getting a lot of business now is from um, sort of the the digital marketing industry. That's, I, I would say our last few clients have all sort of fallen within that category. Um, they're, they're looking at things like how to make their social media more accessible, how to make their websites more accessible. And, um, with COVID, um, basically every business is, has somewhat of an online presence. Now we're hoping that sort of branches out and we hear more from other industries as they try to get their businesses more online. All public sector and then um, non-public that are 50 employees or more need to have their websites compatible with AODA by uh, that date. We've actually developed a two-hour live 
digital training for this purpose specifically for social media and website accessibility? So it's things like, do pictures have alternative descriptions? Do videos, are they captioned? And then, of course, there's things that's more in the, the back end that um, most people might not be aware of. A lot of restaurants have switched to QR codes. Have you seen that for menus? Mm-hmm. I have. And it, it's such a great idea um, for contactless. And I think a lot of people would assume maybe it's more accessible because then it's on your screen and you can magnify it and it's, it's easier for everybody to view. But um, QR codes usually go to menus that aren't accessible. Um, and so whether that's a PDF or uh, just a picture of a menu, somebody using something like screen reader software won't be able to read the menu. So it, it actually makes the dining experience even less accessible than it was um, before all of this. What would be the typical reaction you get from businesses, you know, when you tell them about the state of their accessibility? So I'll start by saying that we've really had a lot more business in the last few months and people seem to be, I'd say in the last four or five months, like our, um, we've been way busier than we have been pretty much since we started the business. So I do want to say that people are genuinely interested and there's lots of people out there really value accessibility and are investing in it. But we do have a lot of experiences where at no fault of their own, people just don't know what they don't know. And we say that over and over again, accessibility is complicated. I mean, we learned that too, right, Serena? Like we sort of went into this being like, we know so much about accessibility because we have disabilities. And then we realized, oh, there's a lot that we just aren't aware of because it's not part of our experience. Mm -hmm. So like we've been told, you know, oh, we are accessible because we've moved our tables away from each other. So there's a pathway for the person who uses a wheelchair to get to the main desk of the restaurant. And to them, that is accessibility, right? But accessibility is so much more complicated, especially with COVID, because customer service is not only anymore face-to-face. Like, as things shut down, potentially down the future, and as they were a couple months ago, you know, at that point, 100% of your customer service is online. So there's just so much more than what people think. And again, it's at no fault of their own. People value accessibility and value inclusion. It's just complicated. I'm Mary Mamaliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Serena and Natalie of Two Canes Consulting. What are your kitchens like? Like, what are some of your favorite features and some of the most hated features you have in your kitchen? Um, I just redid my entire kitchen. Gonna say fancy, fancy Serena over here with her renovated kitchen. Nice, I'm <laughs> jealous. Not super fancy. We, uh, well, I didn't really do anything. My partner did pretty much everything, but I designed it, which is a lot, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, actually, before this, Natalie and I were discussing a little bit about our kitchens, um, as because we were quite excited to be on your show today, and. Because of our complete opposite types of vision loss and symptoms, we actually have completely different needs. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, please share. I'd love to hear this. So Natalie has, um, she has central vision, but not peripheral vision. And I don't have central vision, but I have peripheral vision. So I am okay seeing the big stuff. Like I can tell if somebody's in the room or something like major is in my way, Um, but I can't like be confident when I'm cutting a carrot that I'm not actually going to cut my finger off. (laughs) Right, right. So 
so it, for me, it's more the fine details around things like that. So for me, what's really important around my kitchen, the biggest thing is high contrast. So if I'm cutting an onion that's white, I use a black cutting board and a knife that's not the color of the cutting board or the color of the onion. So I have a set of knives that are rainbow colored, like even the blades are rainbow colored and a variety of cutting boards that are all different colors. And then I strategically designed my kitchen so that the countertops are white. So anything on it would show up clearly. If I had dark countertops, then things on top of it would go missing. Mm -hmm. And it's in direct contrast to the cupboards, which are like a very dark blue, which is in contrast to the floor. So for me, it was around like color contrast spacing and strategically choosing colors and lighting. And my kitchen is all, it's light up probably brighter than the sun, which drives everybody else nuts. But for me and for many people with RP, lighting makes a massive difference. Um, so those are a couple of things for me. So again, my struggles are basically just doing everything I can not to cut off a limb when I'm trying to prepare an item. I also got... I think that goes for everyone. <laughs> which is true, yeah. Um, I also got an induction stove. So when there's not a pot on it, it's not on. Um, and I got a stove with Wi-Fi because I, it's actually, I found it very interesting shopping for a stove. So all of the newer stoves come with a touchscreen, which doesn't have accessibility features. So I couldn't use the oven because I can't see the touchscreen. So I actually had to get, um, I had to get a stove with Wi-Fi and I'm not that fancy of a person. So for me, getting like this stove with Wi-Fi was like quite over the top, but it was what I needed for accessibility so that I can use it from my phone. Okay, so explain the Wi-Fi feature. I love this idea. So you can get stoves without Wi-Fi that don't have touchscreens, but we wanted induction. I'm putting like a plug in for Samsung here. I was going to ask if it was a Samsung, honestly, because I've been researching it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a Samsung range and it connects to the Wi-Fi in the house through their app called Smart Things. And then you can use the app of Smart Things, which is basically like the Google Home of Samsung, to control your stove from your phone. So you could change the temperature, you can change the power level. Um, basically, you can control your whole oven from the phone. And then the knobs have sounds when you turn it. So you could know, like it makes a certain sound when it's off. So you know when it's off just by the sound. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love that idea. Yeah, so for me, it's less about the gadgets and more that I just really need to be focused. Um, it's kind of a joke that if I'm doing anything in the kitchen, I have two small kids. Um, they need to be, our kitchen's gated off, uh, mostly because my son's a toddler, so he has no business being in the kitchen. But um, like both kids are out, gates are shut, and um, it's just, it's funny, they both, known from I guess from the time that they could walk that they are not to be in the kitchen if I'm cooking um mostly just for safety reasons it's, it's not mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm making a piece of toast everybody out it's more if I'm cutting vegetables walking around with a, a pot of boiling water I just I need to be completely focused uh with that said I'm very prone to leaving the fridge open, um, cupboard doors open. I'm very no prone to way. that. Um, because I, are you, are you, like no, my husband too? is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I was going to blame it on RP, but I guess I can't. I'm sorry. (laughs) One solution I've had to use is um, I always end up with white cupboards. They look pretty, but I don't, they're not ideal, uh, mostly for the, the contrast part that Serena was talking about. I need contrast as well. I just always seem to have white walls and white cupboards. So one solution that has helped is um, I've taken black electrical tape and put it sort of on the inside edge of my cupboard so that if it's open, sometimes it catches my eye and I realize, oh, the, the cupboard's open. I should probably shut it before I hit my head. So you create your own obstacle course in the kitchen then? Basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, do you run into this as well, Mary? You could, you're the same mm-hmm. as me, right? You're central. Central, but you're losing peripheral. Um, if you have a cutting board full of vegetables and you're sort of looking at one part, sometimes I don't even realize my other vegetables are like falling <laughs> yeah. off onto the floor because I'm just like not It's true. <laughs> it's so true. So what I've got, I've done two things. <laughs> One I tried, and I always recommend this, is to put your cutting board inside um, a baking, a rimmed baking sheet. Oh, that's genius. And it makes cleanup a lot easier. (laughs) Again, most of these things are so simple, like the electrical tape and the sheet pan. Accessibility doesn't need to be complicated, eh? (laughs) Are you up for a couple of games? Sure. Oh, okay. You ready? Got a game of this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. Dine in or delivery? Depends. COVID or not COVID. <laughs> um, normally dine in. Life of the party or mingle and blend in, Natalie? I do a bit of both. Depends on how I'm feeling. <laughs> Bath or shower? Bath. Morning or evening? Morning. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. <sighs> I heard the gap. Because <laughs> you haven't tried my pancakes. <laughs> Bread, white, or whole wheat? Uh, whole wheat, yeah. All right, corn or peas? Corn. Natalie, toilet paper, over or under? Good question. I don't notice. I'm one of those people that just doesn't care. <laughs> Too blind. <laughs> you were the very first person in two and a half years to say that. Okay, what's worse, laundry or dishes? Uh, dishes. Ugh. Salty or sweet? Salty. Dog or cat? Dog. Okay, Serena, toothpaste, squeeze from the middle or the bottom? Oh, middle. <gasps> That's me. I'm a lazy no. person. <laughs> How did you both get started in the kitchen? Like, what was the first recipe you can remember trying? I feel like both of our answers are going to have to do with our Italian grandmothers. Yes, we both have Italian backgrounds. (laughs) That's always where it starts, isn't it? My (laughs) nana and my grandfather um, are Italian. And I remember two things, lasagna and wine. My grandparents drank so much wine. They made their own wine. I remember my Mom took my grandfather to the physician once and he asked how much alcohol he drank and he said nothing. And then my mom reminded him that wine is alcohol. And he was like, like he didn't even consider an alcohol. That just is a good example of like how this was just part of the family. That's his grape juice. Yeah, exactly. So I just, um, yeah, I just have these fond memories of learning how to cook with my Nana from a very, very young age. Things like crustily, lasagna, basic like traditional Italian dishes 
which I later learned more from my mother. She makes a killer tiramisu. Oh, it's my favorite. Hopefully she'll listen to this and appreciate that compliment. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, my first memories are with my grandparents. Natalie. So my dad is actually the most amazing cook. I don't know if he ever really taught me when I was younger. I think it was my grandma. So his mom that um, agreed to teach me some of her cooking. It's so funny. Good cooks are very hesitant to give away their recipes. Like you really have to. Now, I noticed those are European cooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That doesn't come um, very easily. Recipes. They will, they will hold back an ingredient. She did end up walking me through a recipe, but I think she only did it because she knew it was way too <laughs> intricate and time consuming that like I would never make it. <laughs> Tell me about a cherished food memory of yours. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Italy for the first time to meet my family. So we, I went to a little town called Liedolo, which is about an hour from Venice on the train and next to where Prosecco is made. My grandfather's sibling and his wife don't speak any English. They just speak a couple words of uh, English. And I spoke at that time, um, my Italian had been let go. So I only spoke a little bit. And I brought my partner, um, who I'm living with now, and we're not married still. And at the time, she pointed to my ring finger and um, then pointed to the stove, (laughs) insinuating that. To get married, I need to learn how to cook. (laughs) No way. (laughs) So um, for the next five hours, she taught me how to cook a variety of uh, really focusing on my ring finger, not having a ring on it. (laughs) Um, So she taught me how to um, cook a variety of Italian dishes without, uh, with either of us both not speaking each other's language. So it was one of the most interesting experiences just not not even the cooking, but just realizing how much you can communicate with somebody without a, a common language. Um, and she cooked me, oh my God, it was like a beef stew with, what's that Italian cornmeal dish? I can't believe I can't remember it right now. Polenta. 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 She cooked me polenta with like a tomato-based beef stew. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I can remember the smells of the kitchen her sort of screaming at me in Italian or screaming at her dog in Italian and yeah, the ring finger thing, just the whole, the whole afternoon was quite hilarious. For me, I think the smell of a a roast beef dinner has a lot attached to it for me. So um, on my mom's side of the family, uh, they are very English and um, I wouldn't say the best of cooks, not like my Italian side of the family, not to make a generalization, but <laughs> um, the one thing that her mom did cook well was a uh, a roast beef dinner on Sundays. So we would usually go there um, and she would make roast beef, um, roasted vegetables and Yorkshire pudding. They have a very distinct smell of um, butter. <laughs> And uh, it, the smell of gravy and the roast beef cooking. And it was always funny. Uh, my grandma's house was really small and the um, the smoke alarm was right in the kitchen. So I had a job on Sundays and that was to stand under the smoke alarm and wave a towel under it because it would go off constantly because she was cooking all day. 
Um, so yeah, I have fond memories of, of that. Uh, my grandma passed away a number of years ago and, and my mom passed away, God, 11 years ago now. So it's, it's, it's emotional for me, but it's also, it's, it's, it's a nice emotion. Um, my dad has kind of carried on the tradition of making roast beef dinners on Sundays. And yeah, so it's, I'm always kind of reminded of standing under the smoke alarm with a, a towel, waving it all day. My arms were always so tired on Sunday nights. Okay, rapid fire. Favorite ingredient to cook with? Uh, cumin. What would you rather eat? Food with a knife and fork or your hands? Hands. You've got five minutes to move into a new kitchen and can only take one item with you. What would it be and why? Oh, um... Oh my God. Sorry, my dog. (laughs) (laughs) He provides me emotional comfort. (laughs) In the kitchen. I love that. Curse words you use in the kitchen. First words. Oh my gosh, all of them. Repeatedly. <laughs> you have time to yourself, no interruptions. What do you do? Run. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? A really good one. Time travel. What is your junk food kryptonite? Dark chocolate. She said junk food. <laughs> I know that's my junk food. If your fridge could talk, what would be the one word it would use to describe your snack choices? Be, be very judgmental. I know that. Um, again, <laughs> <laughs> Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. What would you bring back? Oh, Misty Mints. <laughs> Misty Mints. They're a candy. I don't know if anyone knows about them, and I know this is rapid fire rounds, so I shouldn't be blabbing, but I actually Googled them last night because they're a childhood candy I used to get at this candy store. And in 2014, Hershey bought them from Allen's company, which I read last night. And they're now no longer able to be bought or sold anywhere. And I really miss them. (laughs) I have never heard of them, Misty Mints. They're the best. I found Pinterest how to make them myself. They're basically like butter candy. They're kind of like white chocolate with bright color food coloring. And they're just so good. (laughs) I have got to look this up now. Misty Mints. If you find a good recipe or you try them out, you let me know. Thank you both so much. This was so much fun. And if people want to find you, reach out, get some more information, where can they find you? www.2canesconsulting.ca. Our Instagram and Facebook is at TWO Canes Consult. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchen confession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.